illuminating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, did you miss me? I'm back. Like Michael Jordan said in a fax so many years ago, I'm back. Just two words. Back from vacation. Good to be with you. Maybe you didn't miss me because I'm going to tell you, the great Brooke Taylor, the great Father Matthew Spencer did amazing jobs filling in for me, keeping the mic hot. My thanks to them uh, for uh, filling in while I was gone. But I'm happy to be back with you. And you can grab a line right now to talk to me for free. That's right. That's right. It is absolutely without charge. 888 You know what else is free of charge? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's heresy that comes with a price, my friends. And speaking of heresy, there's, there's a heresy that just won't go away. It just won't go away. It's been with us since the beginning of the church. And Pope Francis actually talked about it on the plane, coming back home from World Youth Day. We're going to get into what that is and why that can trip you and me up, even in 2023. We're going to talk about that, plus so many other great things I've got planned for you guys. I'm so happy to be back. So much stuff I wanted to talk to you guys about. I'm going to tell you about it. It's a Monday. We're getting started with the work week. Some of you guys might still be traveling. That's great. Fantastic. Others are kind of back to the grind. And, and I got to talk about the 333 method, the 333 method, if you will, that'll help to make you much, much more productive in far less time, hopefully. That, that sounds intriguing. And also, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about down goes Anderson. I'll explain what that is later, but you will not want to miss this, trust me. But once again, that phone number to call, 888 nine one four nine that's the number you can also email the program kale at relevantradio.com c-a-l-e at relevantradio.com is the email address you can find me on twitter or is it x of course it's x.com now that transition is taking place and you can find me there at kale clark c-a-l-e clark with an e you can follow me there on twitter slash x by the way, they sent me a message today. It's my 13th anniversary on Twitter. I, I can't believe that. I signed up for that service 13 years ago today. It's the only social media platform that I actually use, and I, I really enjoy it. I actually do really enjoy it. And I guess you could say, since it's my 13th anniversary there, it's my Dan Marino anniversary. So uh, a lot of you liked that. I mentioned that online earlier today. But I wanted to ask you, if you were at World Youth Day, which just concluded in Lisbon, Portugal, and Pope Francis announced that the next one is going to be happening in 2027 in Seoul, South Korea. So we're going to have a lot of Seoul in Seoul. That'd be that'd be a cool place to go. I've never been to South Korea. Uh, my wife has been there before. She loved it. She taught there for a little while. I would really like to get there. I, I maybe I could join a K-pop band, and you know, my, my bad karaoke skills might actually make me a superstar over there. I don't know, but uh, who, who needs BTS, man? But uh, anyways, um, uh, that'd be a cool place to go, a, a cool place to see the, the church young and alive and in action. And if you were in Portugal, if you were in Portugal and you're just coming home or you just got home from World Youth Day, whether you're in the United States or somewhere else, you might be listening to Relevant Radio streaming on the Relevant Radio app somewhere in the world or through the, uh, through, just through the net, relevantradio.com, wherever you may be. If you did get to World Youth Day and you want to talk about it, what your experience was like, We'll put you right to the front of the line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark's show only 
on relevant radio. Now, there are always different takes about whether World Youth Day was great or not. Um, I've heard pretty good things about it through uh, Father Harrison Ayer, a great friend of the program. If you follow his Twitter account, uh, he was posting some pretty cool stuff from uh, Portugal, from Lisbon. He thought it was really good. He brought a group there from Canada. He's, he's kind of out in the west coast of Canada. Um, others are they, they're kind of skeptical about World Youth Day because they think, you know, a lot of kids just go there to party. You know, they've got Mickeys in their backpack and they're taking sips between the events. I'm sure that some of that does happen. I'm sure that some of that goes on. Uh, not everybody's there for purely pure purposes, if you will. Uh, but the, I'm sure the vast majority are there because they're, yeah, it's fun, but they're also looking for God. And they're going to have a great spiritual experience there. And it's, I was an accidental uh, participant in World Youth Day in 2002 in Toronto when uh, Pope John Paul II was there. And uh, I, I, I was there with, at the time I was still a Protestant minister. I went there with some some Catholic friends who invited me to go. And I was just starting to ask some questions again about, about the Catholic faith. And when I was there, I went to the Way of the Cross on University Avenue, huge street in downtown Toronto. And my brother-in-law, my future brother-in-law, I didn't, hadn't even met my wife yet. My future brother-in-law was in there. He was in the Way of the Cross. He was part of the act, if you will. And he was portraying, because he has a military background, he was the chief centurion who was responsible for killing our Lord, quote-unquote, in the place. So I always give him grief about that that he uh, he crucified our lord but but it, it it was interesting to me I, I not really i had still working things out about catholicism but it, but it was very moving i found it a very moving experience and it really did set me on the path i think in many ways uh, to get back into the catholic church triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. but hey if you want to call in if you did go there if you want to give a take on it eight 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 nine one four. 9149 is the number to call. But I do want to talk about this. On the plane back to Rome, to the Vatican, Pope Francis, this, is, this has always been a tradition with the popes. When they, when they make their international travels, reporters will be on the papal plane, and they'll kind of pepper them with questions. And, and obviously Pope Francis sometimes answers kind of off the cuff, as we know. But a reporter asked him a pretty interesting question, and he had a very intriguing response as well. Somebody asked him, and this is probably a reporter coming from a, a very secular point of view. Somebody asked Pope Francis, hey, if the church is open to all people, and he's constantly talking about this, hey, anybody can come. This is the Catholic Church, after all. It's universal. It's for all people. Christ welcomes everybody. You know, he doesn't want you to stay where you're at in terms of if you're in some sort of a, a sinful lifestyle. We all have issues. Uh, he wants to change us. He wants to transform us. God is a good father. He, he's, not a, he's not a cosmic grandfather. Again, this is a character of grandfathers, but as one writer said, a grandfather just wants the kids to have a good time, but a father is much more demanding. Now, grandfathers can be too. Of course, of course, it's an analogy. Don't press it too far. But the point is, he doesn't want to leave you where he finds you. He wants to conform you to the image of his son. So anyways, this reporter asked Pope Francis, hey, if the church is open to everything to everyone, theoretically, why doesn't the church allow women's ordination? Why doesn't the church allow things like same-sex marriage, etc., etc., etc.? And Pope Francis responded this way. This is really interesting. He said, quote, I don't like this reduction. I don't like this reduction. This is not ecclesial. And what, what does he mean by ecclesial? That, that has to do with the church. The, the church is the ecclesia. It's a Greek term. It's in the New Testament to describe the church. It means the called out ones. 
yes, we, we, we do have to live our faith in the middle of the world, but we're, we're in the world and not of it, as our faith teaches us. We're, we're, we, we are still in the middle of the world, but we, we are also part of the community of Christ, and the kingdoms of this world have to become the kingdoms of our Lord, and we have to make it so. So we're not sort of trying to keep the boat to ourselves, if you will, the bark of Peter. We want everybody to get on this boat as much as possible. It's the love boat, the love of Christ. And we've got room for everybody. However, however, Pope Francis says this this idea, this idea that the church will, will change her teachings in that area, he says it's not ecclesial. That is Gnostic. That is Gnostic. It is like a Gnostic heresy, he said, that is fashionable today. A certain Gnosticism that reduces ecclesial reality, and by that he means the reality of the church, and that doesn't help, end of quote. This is a really intriguing way for him to answer that question. Now, if you, if you don't know really what he's referring to there, when he talks about Gnosticism, uh, this is the Gnostic heresy. By the way, that word is spelled G-N-O-S. It's like Gnosticism. It's G-N-O, like gnocchi, not to make you hungry. That's pretty good stuff. Uh, I know it's around the dinner hour for a lot of you, but uh, maybe you're having some. I don't know. I'm glad to be your dinner companion if that's the case on the Kale Clark Show, 888 Gnostic is spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C. And, and, this, is, and this comes from a Greek, another Greek word. If ecclesia means church, Gnostic means gnosis or knowledge in Greek. So this is a Gnostic heresy, the Pope says. And it's, it's not to do with the church. And it's, it's reductionist. I don't like it. I don't like this sort of thinking. And I think he's, it's really intriguing that he's, that he's calling it that because this really has to do with the, the sacramental worldview. And, and my friend Father Harrison Eyre, who I just mentioned a few minutes ago, he's written a really amazing book. He's been on the show to talk about it. It's called Mysterion, and it's all about the sacramental worldview. This is, this is exactly the opposite of this Gnostic heresy. Now, what, what on earth is this all about? What, what, what is Pope Francis really getting at here? Well, the Gnostics basically believed. They were, they were, it's really hard to pin down exactly when this got going in the early church. Um, there was a kind of a bad guy in the Acts of the Apostles named Simon Magus, or Simon the Magician, if you will. And he used to kind of do magic tricks. And he, and he found out about the gospel, and he's like, this is really cool. And when he saw... Uh, the incredible works of power that were being done through the apostles. Uh, he kind of wanted in on this, and he's like, "Can I buy this? You know, can I can I give you cash to get this given?" He's like, "Peter's like, no, you you can't get this with money. You know, you're you're really not thinking straight." I'm paraphrasing here, of course, but you can read that in the Acts of the Apostles. I think it's in chapter seven. And Simon Magus, some people think he is the author of, of this in terms of how it kind of infected the church, but. It really comes from from pagan realities, pagan ways of thinking that were kind of out there. And some pagan thinking was okay in terms of pagan philosophy, Greek philosophy, if you will. And uh, not too long ago on the show, we talked about this uh, kind of interesting song by the band Iron Maiden about Alexander the Great. It's kind of uh, instructional, actually, even though it's a heavy metal song. And maybe Jim, maybe you still have it in the archives somewhere. You can play it on the uh, way to break. But... My, my, my daughter, Michaela, was like the other day, can you please play me that Alexander the Great song again? So I guess she's becoming a, a metalhead at the age of seven. But it, it's interesting because there's a line in the song. Uh, Bruce Dickinson, the uh, singer for Iron Maiden, he sings, 
he, Alexander, paved the way for Christianity. Now, what, and, and Michaela was like, how did he pave the way for Christianity? Well, he, he didn't in the sense that Alexander the Great, God made it happen, not Alexander the Great. But what that's all about is, I kind of explained it to her this way. How do you explain this to a seven-year-old? I was like, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups. Uh, in the old commercials, they, they used to say, hey, you got your chocolate into my peanut butter. Hey, you got your peanut butter into my chocolate. And, and that's kind of what happened in, in this mix that took place when divine revelation, which came through the Jews, of course, uh, came through the old covenant scriptures and the old covenant community. When that kind of mixes together with Greek philosophy, which helped, and, and really what the philosophy did was it was ways of knowing God, ways to explain God that, that the church was able to use to advance the spread of the gospel. It just provided categories and language and way of speaking to help make the gospel intelligible to pagans. So concepts like the logos, the divine word, and, and that was very common in pagan times, but also in the gospel of John, Jesus is referred to as the logos, the divine word of God. And so pagans kind of read that and said, ah, I get it. I get it. It makes sense. So there is this, and Peter Kreef talks about this, this medieval synthesis that took place. Not everything in medieval times was bad. It was a synthesis, kind of like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, where, where Jewish revelation mixed with Greek philosophy to kind of make a, a new presentation of the gospel that made sense to a lot of people. In, anyways, some of those categories really came to be because Alexander the Great conquered the known world, spread Hellenism far and wide, spread this idea of philosophy. So some of the philosophy was okay and God could use it, but some was really bad. And, and this is where Gnosticism comes into play. It's an ancient heresy. This is bad, bad paganism that kind of infected the church. Not in a good way, far from it. And, and really, what's it all about? What's it all about, Alfie? Gnosticism, basically these guys were running around saying, hey, I know the Catholic Church says that they're open to everybody, and, you know, they've got the truth on display for you. But really, if you want to know the inside scoop about Jesus, if you really want the inside edition, you've got to join our little group. We're the Gnostics. We have the secret knowledge. It's esoteric, but we'll explain it to you on the inside if you join us. Okay, this is the farthest thing from Catholicism that you could possibly imagine. Because the Catholic Church is all about public revelation. It's there for all to see. We know what the faith is. It's not a secret. As Scripture says, you know, the early preaching of the apostles, in the Acts of the Apostles, Peter says, hey, everybody knows what happened to Jesus. This was not done in a corner. He was publicly crucified for all to see. So this is not secret stuff. This is open for everyone to examine, to consider. And you got to consider it. Is this a truth claim? That Yes, it absolutely is. It has claims on your life. you got to take it seriously. But there's nothing secret about it. The Catholic faith is public. And so, whew, now the sacraments is a bit of a different story. You don't get initiated into the sacraments like the Eucharist until you join the church. And in fact, in the ancient church, the catechumens, those who were being instructed, were kind of kicked out of the Mass halfway through after the liturgy of the Word, the homily. Uh, they, they didn't even get to see the Eucharistic liturgy until Easter time. But in terms of what the church teaches, that was wide open, public, for all to see. And even the Eucharist stuff, the reason why they, I think part of the reason why they kept it for the initiated was because there's so many misunderstandings about it. Uh, people thought that the early Catholics were cannibals because they ate the flesh and drank the blood of, of this person. Oh, whoa, what's that all about? And pagans obviously misunderstood that. 
And St. Justin Martyr talked about that uh, when he explained the Catholic faith to the emperor in his famous apology in the first century. But having said that, all this is a backdrop. This is what Pope Francis is talking about when he says, I don't like this Gnosticism because it's still out there. This is a heresy that just won't die. And here, but here's the other thing that they, that they believed, and this is still with us to this day. The Gnostics also believed that the material world was evil. The material world was evil, and it was actually created by a lesser god that they called the Demiurge. Now, and again, as I've said before, this is not the sudden urge to listen to the songs of Demi Lovato. Oh, gosh, heavens no. Uh, pray for her. She's, she's, she's got a lot of problems, a lot of issues. Pray for her. But no, no, it, what is the Demiurge? Well, the Demiurge is the sort of lesser god that created the material world. But, only, but this is all evil. Only the spiritual is good. Only the non-physical is good. And so many people, even a lot of Catholics, still think this way. They think the human body is evil. They think the world is evil. And only the spirit is good. So, so why is Pope Francis talking about this when he's talking about some of the issues of our age? Because people don't understand the sacramental worldview. They don't understand the incarnation, that the creation is good. And it's part of God's plan. It's part of how he gets his truth to us through the sacraments. So he uses created matter. The Gnostics basically said matter doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And, and because only the spiritual is good, here's what they would do with the body. They'd either denigrate it and abuse it, or they would just sin like crazy because they thought it, it really doesn't matter in the end. It's all going to heck in a handbasket. That's not the case. The truth is that the body will be resurrected. The body has a future, and so what we do with it matters now. Whether you're male or female, it's part of God's plan for you. It's part of how you were created. It's how it's his, we're a body-soul unity. You can't separate the body from the soul. What God has joined together, let not people try to put asunder. And people are trying to do that. People are trying to say, well, inside, I'm someone else. My spirit says, I'm something else. No. No, you, you are either man or woman. And so this is the kind of stuff that the Pope is talking about. People don't understand the goodness of creation. They don't understand the sacramental worldview. And this is really what's, what's so crucial about, about our faith. And uh, so many of the, the problems and issues that people have, um, it, it's due to a lack of understanding of this. It's due to a lack of, of understanding of the, of the theology of the body and how the incarnation really speaks to that. The body has a future. God said what he cre created was very good. And he even, in fact, said, I'm going to actually join a body to my already existing divine person. And so from now on, for all eternity, even if you were to go to heaven right now, you would see Jesus in his resurrected, glorified body. And, and this is so, so important to our faith. So I, I think that's why he answered the question that way. And I think it was a very, very profound answer. So again, if you went to World Youth Day, you want to talk about your experience, call in 888-914-9149. Lots of good stuff coming up right after this quick break. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 914 9149. There it is, Alexander the Great. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. 
back for segment number two. My first day back after vacation. It was a staycation. I didn't really go anywhere. I didn't really do much. Just hung out with the family. That was good. It was good. We need that. We need that. But we, you know, when we get back to the grind, how can we be much more productive? 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Well, there's a guy that I follow. Speaking of Twitter slash X, uh, the X.com app. Uh, it's a guy who I follow. His name is Ben Meir. Really interesting dude. Um, he, he's got this thing called Systems Sunday. Systems Sunday. And you can sign up for uh, his newsletter, his free newsletter. But uh, you can find him on Twitter, Ben Meir, M-E-E-R. Or go to his website, benmeir.com. And one of his uh, one of his little tweets that he put out, he's got quite a few followers on Twitter, actually. He's got, oh gosh, how many does he have? I'll see. It's a lot, 362.4 thousand followers. Not bad, not bad. So he, he had this he had this little uh, tweet, and it was kind of interesting, because I'm always looking for ways to improve, ways to do things better, systems. Uh, there's another famous author by the name of, uh, he wrote a book called, it's, it's probably the business book, not just business, but in, in many ways life book of the past few years. Massive, massive bestseller. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And one of the things that James Clear says is that we don't we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. So what is your system for, for getting things done? And, and there is the getting things done um, methodology. There's so many, so many ways to do it. But Ben Meir talked about um, the 3-3-3 method. And, and that, it's not original to him. It actually comes from Oliver Berkman. Now, Oliver Berkman wrote a best-selling book called 4,000 Weeks. I mentioned it before on the program. Really good book. The, the, the sort of main base, what's, what, what does 4,000 weeks mean? That's the average lifespan of, of a human person on planet Earth. You've got 4,000 weeks to do this, to try to become a saint. You know, he doesn't talk about sainthood, of course, but it's a secular point of view. But we can still use a lot of the concepts. So 4,000 weeks, that's pretty sobering. That's all we've got on average. So Oliver Berkman talked about his method of being productive. And he's an author, he's busy, he's got a lot of stuff to do. And he, he was the one who really came up with this 333 method. So here's how it works. There's a first three, and then there's a second three, and then there's a third three. So here's the first three in the 333 method. He says, spend three hours of deep work on your most important project. Three hours of deep work on your most important project. Now, what's deep work? Well, this is really the ability to, to focus, to focus on something big. Now, maybe you're trying to write a book or whatever your big task is. It's a little bit like uh, Stephen Covey in his book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says, it, it's like a jar. Your day's like a jar. And if, you know, you've all done these science experiments in class as a kid where the teacher will say, how many rocks do you think I can fit in this chart? Do you think I can fit in the sand as well? Oh, no, I don't think you can. And then he pours it in. Oh, yeah, it all fits. But if you don't get the big rock in the jar first, the big rocks and the little rocks in the sand, they're not going to fit. There's not going to be enough room for them uh, if you put in the little stuff first. got to get the big things done first. And that's really important. So the first three-hour block, if you will, I think it's good to time block your day, too. You've got to do this deep work on your biggest project. Now, why does he say three hours? Well, as it turns out, three to four hours, that's about your limit. That's about your outer limit 
of, of what your brain can handle in terms of intense, focused, deep work. But if you're able to do this, you'll get 500% more done than you did before. Because let's face it, especially in the modern workplace, especially if you are one of these people who has been called back to the office, you know, BTO, back to the office, and there's always interruptions, right? And there's interruptions when you're working from home as well. There, you know, the phone rings, you got a meeting, somebody knocks on your door, uh, context switching, that, that kills so much time in, in your day. But if you can get this three to four hour block we can get this big project done. It's absolutely huge. And and uh, on Oliver Burke's, uh, Berkman's website, oliverberkman.com, he talks about um, talks about this in, in a little bit more detail. I found an article that he wrote about it. And he said, look, there's not too many hard and fast rules of time management that always apply to everybody, regardless of their situation, regardless of their personality, regardless of what kind of work they're doing. That's why he's big into general principles. But he says... If there is one thing that applies to everybody, it might be this. You almost certainly can't do the kind of work that demands serious mental focus for more than about three or four hours per day. That, that's about the max that you can handle. So what some people will do is they'll try to do something big like for like a seven or eight hour stretch. And, and yeah, you might say, yeah, I can do that. I can do that, Kale. And maybe you have done that certain times in your life. I've done that too. Like it just you're just kind of on a roll and you're absorbed with the task and you just keep you just keep cranking it out. You don't even realize how much time has flown by because you're so into the flow. You're so into the moment. It's like, wow, like wow, five hours, six hours has gone by. But I would say that's pretty rare. You're not going to be able to do that every single day. It's just not feasible. It's not feasible. So what most people do is really the max is three to four hours of concentrated work, but they tend to string it out over a whole work day. And, and, and this is where, again, Parkinson's law comes into effect, where, where the amount of time that you allot to the task, that's how long it'll take. If you only give yourself three hours to do it, you can get it done in three hours. If that's your limit, you have to do it. You, you, you can't do it. The alarm's going to go off, and you, you have to move on to something else. And you'll find a way to get it done in three hours. But if you give yourself eight hours, you'll string it out for eight hours. It's just the way things go. The work expands to fill the time that you've given it. So that, that's, that's important. I don't know what you think about this. 888 Nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. But here's what Oliver Berkman says. This is really intriguing. If you look at great minds throughout history, a lot of them have done this. This idea of your big work project of the day, your focused work project, is three to four hours max. Charles Darwin. And I'm not saying look, this has nothing to do with whether his theory of evolution is legit. I think it's got some problems, but. Nobody can argue the, the impact this guy had, for better or for worse. Charles Darwin, when he was working on the theory of evolution, he worked for two 90-minute periods and then one one-hour period. Guess what that adds up to? Four hours. I mean, I'm, I failed. I was sick the day they taught math at school, let's put it that way, but, but I can figure that out. That's four hours. The math genius, Henri Poincaré, he worked for two hours in the morning, and then two in the afternoon. Thomas Jefferson did this as well. Charles Dickens, Virginia Woolf, Ingmar Bergman, so many more followed this path. And, okay, people might say, well, hang on here. The, the moral, but Oliver Berkman says, the, the moral of the story here isn't that you, 
should be living some sort of life where, where as soon as your four hours are up, you get up, then spend the rest of the day playing golf or drinking cocktails. He says, if you can do that, go for it. You know, but that sounds like fun. But, but that's now what he's saying here. We have other things to do in our day. And I'm going to get into that in just a second. But this, this big, big project mentality, the, the big rock that you want to put in the jar, the big issue that you're working on, the big problem you're solving, the big book that you're writing, whatever it might be, that has to be done in this three or four hour intense period. That's the deal. That's the deal. And Oliver Berkman says, when you're trying to make progress on a really, really big project, the, the trap that we often fall into is just to keep going and working longer and longer and longer and longer at the problem. And he said, don't do that. Don't do that. Just, just protect your three to four hours. Because you're going to have chaos throughout the day. You're going to have interruptions. You're going to have emails. You're going to have notifications, Slack, whatever, digital distractions. You can't get rid of these things. You're not going to be able to, to just live this idyllic life where these things never happen to you. These things are going to happen. But if you have this three-hour block that you protect with your life, then when the scattered chaos happens, you don't need to worry about it so much because it's going to happen, but you're not that stressed about the interruptions later because you've got that block in there. So that's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, you're never going to be able to feel completely on top and in control of everything. And he talks about uh, another writer, Jonathan Malesic, who uh, wrote a book called The End of Burnout. The End of Burnout. A lot of people are feeling burnt out these days, especially uh, post-pandemic. But this guy, Jonathan Malesic, he wrote this book, The End of Burnout, and he interviewed a bunch of monks for this book and figured out how they worked. And I've talked about monks on the program before and going into monk mode. We did an episode called Monk Mode. We talked about how monks kind of follow this uh, methodology of prayer and work, work and prayer, aura et labora. It's a nice rhythm to life. And somehow lay people, we can adopt this mentality too in, in certain ways. So this, this writer interviewed a, a bunch of monks from this place called the Monastery of Christ. The, sorry, the Monastery of Christ in the Desert. The Monastery of Christ in the Desert, which is located somewhere in New Mexico. If you're living in New Mexico and you've heard of this, let me know, 888-914-9149. If you're a monk listening to the program in the Monastery of Christ, maybe you should be doing something else, but I'm glad that you're here. You can call as well. But uh, he interviewed, uh, Jonathan Malesic interviewed one of the monks named Father Simeon. And interestingly enough, before he became a monk, he was a defense attorney. How about that? <laughs> How about that? And then he, then he left that, the legal profession behind, and uh, I guess he read what Jesus said, woe to you lawyers, and took that quite literally. No, no, I'm just kidding. But he, 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 lots of, we need fine, upstanding lawyers. The legal profession is very honorable. But Father Simeon uh, was interviewed for this uh, book called The End of Burnout, and here's how the monks did it. Their daily work period, now they have other things to do too, lots of other things, they have communal meals, they have prayer, they have other things that's going on uh, in their day, but guess how long their work period was, their designated work period, guess how long, three hours, three hours, and it ended at this monastery promptly at 12.40 p.m., a bell would ring and they had to drop it, they had to stop, and so Jonathan Malesic, who, who wrote this book, uh, The End of Burnout, asked Father Simeon, hey, what do you do when, when the 1240 bell rings, this three-hour work period is done, but you're not done. <laughs> Your work is undone. You're still working on it. And here's what he said. He said, you get over it. 
you get over it. You drop it. When the bell rings, you have to shut it down. You just get over it. And we kind of have to do that as well. Uh, Cal Newport, uh, who wrote the book uh, Deep Work, which is, a, which is a classic on this this whole concept of working deeply with a focused mindset, which is such a superpower in today's world. People are so distracted by our digital age, that, if, especially young people. If you can somehow learn this skill of focus, it is a superpower in the job market and in the future world, to be sure, that's coming. So Cal Newport has something called the shutdown ritual or the shutdown routine where he goes through this sort of little process at the end of his workday where he closes his laptop, he you know fixes the papers on his desk, put the, puts things away back in their place, and he shuts it down. He literally says to himself, shut down complete. You know, it sounds like a robot type thing to say, shut down complete. And then psh, it's sort of a mental cue. You move on with your life. You move on to the next thing. Because we have to, we have, to have a balanced life. We have to have time for prayer. We have to have time for God. We have to have time for our family. And so you, you can't be doing this stuff 24-7. You can't. It's not, it's not sustainable. So that, that's, that's the first thing that Oliver Berkman says, uh, talking about this 3-3-3 three, three, three method. The first three is this three to four, you know, it's, but you know, it's easier to remember if it's 3-3-3, three, three, three. this three-hour work block. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Now, really quickly here, here's the other two uh, aspects to the 3-3-3 three, three, three productivity method. Um, so, First one's obviously this this deep work block. What about the next two threes? Again, your workday is not over. You, unless I mean, it, it's it's pretty rare you're going to be able to just you know, hit the golf course after three hours. It's not going to happen. But here's the deal: the second three is about executing three shorter tasks. It's not the main thing. It's not the biggest rock in your jar, but they are still urgent. As Ben Muir says, these are the urgent to-dos. Now, these are kind of the sticky note items that you might be trying to avoid. <laughs> but some of them only take a few minutes. Uh, an example might be if you're, if you're a manager, you might have to, to meet with your team. You might have to delegate some tasks. You might have to give some feedback to somebody. You might have to take some calls. You might have to have a meeting. These are sort of the smaller tasks, the three shorter tasks that you can put in the second three in the 333 methodology. What about the third three? What's the third three? These are maintenance activities. Three maintenance activities. So what are maintenance activities? Well, according to, to Ben Mir, these are things that make your life just go better. Just like if you're maintaining your car, if you're sticking to the maintenance schedule of your vehicle, you gotta go in for oil changes, you gotta go in for this, you gotta go in for that, change your wiper blades every once in a while, put on your winter tires eventually. Oh, I don't wanna think about that right now, but. We're still in August. Come on, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But the, we have to do these things in a lot of different areas of our lives, such as exercise. We have to take care of the physical body. Again, this whole concept of the incarnation. It's a sacramental worldview. We, the body does matter, and you've got to take care of yourself so that you can be there for the people who love you and also for God, so that you might be able to work more and better in His service and, and, and for longer, if, if possible. So exercising is important. Self-care is important. Yeah, have a shower every once in a while, for sure. Um, if you're working from home, I'm sure your spouse will appreciate it. Uh, brushing your teeth, whatever, journaling, all, all these things that you've got to do. I would, I would throw in there, of course, spiritual disciplines like prayer, the rosary, 
daily mass, if possible, all, all the spiritual things we got to do to maintain our interior life. And mundane things, getting the dishes done, you know, the, the sending the laundry out, or whatever the case may be. These are these are the maintenance items, and we have things, that, of course, you know, work-wise that are, would fall into this category as well. So here, here, at the end of the day, let's sum it up here: the three-three-three method, as popularized by Oliver Berkman, the author of Four Thousand Weeks. The first three, three hours on your most important project. The second three, then you do three shorter tasks. These are the sort of urgent things. They're not the important things that will really move the needle in your life or career or job, but, but they, are, they are urgent. They need to get done. You've got to go to that meeting. You've got to file that report, whatever the case may be. So three hours on your most important project. Number two, three shorter tasks. The third three is maintenance activities. So if you can do that, if you can do three hours on your big project, do three other in tasks that are important, and then three maintenance activities, walk the dog, brush your teeth, whatever, pay the bills. Define what those are, maybe the night before, and I think you'll set yourself up for a pretty productive day, and you can feel good about that. You're going to hit your goals. Um, and you can't do everything, but this is a, this is a really... I like this because it's simple. I, I like things that are simple, clear, actionable, and this really kind of fills the buckets for, for all three. So I like that. I don't know what you think about that, but you can give me a call, 888 We'll be right back on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio after this quick break. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Kale a call at 888-914-9149. That's right, 888 is the studio line to call to talk to me, 888-914-9149. If you're just tuning in now, my first day back from vacation, had a fun show. In the beginning, we talked about World Youth Day. We talked about some of the comments that Pope Francis made on the plane. What is Gnosticism and why is it still infecting the church today? Really intriguing topic. Uh, if you missed it, you can check the podcast. It should be out a few minutes after the program on the Relevant Radio app, or wherever you get your pods, you can stream it, you can share it with friends. It's always good to do so. And if you haven't downloaded the Relevant Radio app, what are you waiting for? It's a great app, and it's going to become even greater. I've seen some of the changes that are coming, and I can't wait for you uh, to find out about them. But hey, if you don't get the app, you're not going to get the upgrades either. You're not going to get the updates. So grab it right now at the App Store, uh, whether it's the, the, the Google App Store, or it's the, what, what's that called again? The Google Play, yes, or, uh, or the... Um, the Apple App Store. Anyways, having said that, uh, you can do that for your mobile device. And you can call in, once again, 888-914-9149 on your mobile device, from your car phone, from a landline. If you have one of those cool car phones with antennas like my dad had in the 1980s, if you think you're Magnum PI, uh, you can call in as well. But um, we also talked about the 333 method for productivity. I think it's really cool. It's really simple, easy to understand, easy to implement. Uh, we talked about that. And you, again, if you missed that, uh, please do refer to the podcast after the fact. Uh, I do want to talk about this, though. Just um, <laughs> down goes Anderson. I mentioned this at the beginning of the program, and I'm telling you, I, my heart really goes out to our beloved Rich Pie, Rich, Rich Pachinski. Uh, who is the uh, VP of Marketing here at Relevant Radio. And he, he's a lifelong Chicago White Sox fan, and, and he's, really, he's really going through a hard time right now. 
Uh, I think he's 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 really kind of living a purgatory on earth right now. Everyone thought the White Sox were going to kind of be a team on the rise. Well, <laughs> it hasn't exactly worked out that way. And Tim Anderson, their all-star shortstop, uh, he's had some moments. Everyone thought he was going to be kind of a transcendent figure in baseball. Remember the first Field of Dreams game that took place about two years ago against the Yankees? He hit that dramatic home run at the Cornstalks. Um, well, this year hasn't exactly been a great year for the White Sox in general. They had a big fire sale at the trade deadline. Tim Anderson is really struggling. He's playing a little bit better after the All-Star break. But on Saturday night, playing against the Cleveland Guardians, a couple of also-ran teams in the American League, I would say that Tim Anderson's slugging percentage took a bit of a hit, if you will. What am I talking about? Well... Cleveland star Jose Ramirez uh, slid into second base, and Anderson, being the shortstop, um, tagged him. Uh, Ramirez was safe, but it was a, a Ramirez took a bit of an exception to the tag that Tim Anderson put on him. Thought it was a little bit too much, and they were both kind of in an ornery mood, and uh, they decided to fight. And, and I got to tell you, uh, you have to see the video for this, and and maybe we can put this uh, put the link to this in the in the show notes, but. A little bit of a base brawl broke out. It's 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 interesting, speaking of the White Sox, because it was almost 30 years to the day that the great Nolan Ryan uh, beamed Robin Ventura, the young Robin Ventura, who charged the mound, and the 46-year-old Nolan Ryan absolutely put a whooping on uh, our good friend Robin Ventura. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a great display of old man strength. That's a very famous base brawl that broke out 30 years ago. Well, almost to the day, another one involving the White Sox and Tim Anderson. Uh, what, what's really amazing about this is that the Cleveland Guardians radio voice, Tom Hamilton, the play-by-play voice of the Guardians for the Guardians radio network, he had an incredible call of this moment. What's really funny is... It, it, and you got to see again. You have to see the video of this to get the full effect. But as soon as this fight started between Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez, they switched. They just flipped a switch and they went from calling a baseball game to calling a boxing match. And even, even the umpire, the rookie umpire Malachi Moore, it's like he he switched. He flipped a switch too, and he became a boxing referee. It was like he was Mills Lane all of a sudden. Here's the audio. Check this out. It's unbelievable. Slide safe and in to score is Jimenez. And another hustle double right over the bag at first. Now Jose and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. Down goes Anderson. <laughs> Down goes Anderson. Down goes. It's like he channeled his inner Howard Cosell there, Tom Hamilton. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. Yeah, it's one of the great. Matchups of all time. It's unbelievable. Yeah, as, as Jose Ramirez was being restrained by the White Sox pitcher, he threw a wild right hand and, and just absolutely tagged Tim Anderson right on the chin, caught him perfectly. He goes down in a heap. He, I don't know whether he's out on his feet for a moment or out on his back, if you will. But he did get up. There was a lot of jawing. It was, it was more pushing and shoving than a big bench-clearing brawl, but everybody obviously streamed onto the field. At any rate, it was it was uh, it was a pretty interesting moment on a Saturday night between two teams that nobody would be talking about if not for this. Uh, Jason Benetti, voice of the White Sox, he said, "The scoring of this game is brought to you by CompuBox," and uh, it was a great moment. Anyways, I had to share that with you. That was pretty viral uh, over the weekend. Let's get to the phones. Let's get to the phones. Let's take some calls here, producer Jim. Triple eight nine one four 
888-528-9149. Let's go to Peter in Woodland Hills, California, in SoCal. Hey, Peter. Hey, Kyle. Nice to chat with you and uh, honored to be on the air with you. I just wanted to bring in this whole idea of productivity, if I could, Mm -hmm. in regards Mm -hmm. to how I started started my morning to get me going. So a while ago, a number of years ago, I read a book and it was an admiral, I believe, in the Navy who said, you know, if you do one thing in the morning, make your bed and that will get you started and probably accomplish more than 90 percent of people. And so I started doing that. And then shortly thereafter, a friend of mine got leukemia. And so I recognized very quickly it was time for prayer. And so it easily transferred, make your bed, pray for John. Then it was make your bed, make your coffee, pray for John. And then I found myself always wanting to pray the breviary. So it was make your bed, make your coffee, pray the breviary, and then pray your intentions. What I found out of that, it's developed, and I read, or actually I heard Thomas Keating, the great uh, monastic, and he said, the contemplative uh, Thomas Keating, and he said, I pray every day for three hours. I thought, that's insane. How does anybody ever pray for three hours? Even I thought that of Thomas Keating. Well, inevitably, this develops to a point where there's a good hour, an hour and 15, hour and a half. Sometimes I've gone over two hours without ever thinking about it. And you say, well, how does this have to do with productivity? Well, if we really truly believe the greatest power we have is in prayer, huge productivity there. But above and beyond that, I find myself just praying a small part of that prayer for my own intentions, thinking about mm-hmm. goals, objectives, mm-hmm. endeavors. And when I get done with the prayer, it's like I'm immediately ready to get started in the day and completely fortified spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. I've reflected on the day. I've reflected on others. And this has just been a huge help for me. And the bravery, of course, people have been on and off of it. I have too. And I just find it's, it's an amazing prayer. It's glorifying God first, then putting your intentions second. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point, Peter. And, and by the way, that, that, that speech that you're referencing is by Admiral William McRaven. It's called Make Your Bed. And there's a there's a, actually a, a corresponding book that's come out of this as well. And, and uh, you can look this up on YouTube. But uh, very famous. I think it was a commencement speech that he gave. But he's got a book called Make Your Bed, Little Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World. The, the, the spirituality of little things is really, really important. And one of the things he says, if you make your bed really well, which obviously if you're in the military, that's kind of what you have to do, be able to bounce a quarter off of it. And if you do that, you get used to doing things the right way. And a number of great things, it gets your day off to a good start. No matter how bad your day goes, you're going to come home to a nice made bed, nice and crisp and clean. Hey, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. But uh, the speech is obviously about more than just making your bed. I encourage you guys to check that out, maybe the book too. But but I think it's important too, in terms of getting that big rock in your jar, the big rocks in first, uh, these, these secular writers are talking about productivity, they're talking about work projects, but obviously for us, getting that big rock in first means getting your prayer in. And uh, for most lay people, it's, it's not going to be possible to pray in three-hour stretches, and it might not even be advisable to do that. We've got to have um, energy bursts throughout the day. It's like telephone poles. Most of the wires these days are under the ground, but but you don't want the wires to sag between the poles. You don't want to be... To be uh, too close. You got to spread them out a little bit. So your mental prayer, your morning prayer, daily mass, reading of the New Testament, some spiritual book, 
uh, praying the rosary. Maybe pray it with Father Rocky, the family rosary across America. I think he's in Texas tonight, maybe. Maybe live from Texas, the family rosary. You have to wait and see, 7 p.m. Central here on Relevant Radio. A little plug there, Father, for you. But you got to spread it out a little bit, and it's got to fit hand in glove with your duties, with your responsibilities, living in the middle of the world. And if you have a little bit more time to dedicate to prayer, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, but but it's not always the case. It's not always the case. But really good call, Peter. Thank you so much for calling in from SoCal. Let's go to Pat, who's calling from Gaylord, Michigan. Hey, Pat. How you doing? I love your show. Thank you, sir. I just wanted to call and tell you my uh, son is still en route back to Michigan, but uh, oh. he's been at the World Youth Day, and I'm thinking that's where probably a lot of the other people are still en route, and I understand there's all kinds of uh, delays on the East Coast, so uh, maybe that's affecting the call-ins here for, mm. from the yeah. participants. It, it could but, be. Uh, anyway, no, he, had a, he had a wonderful time. Um, just the, the Holy Spirit came, and uh, he said... Just smiles from from the get go. Just uh, unbelievable. He said uh, he, he had been to Steubenville on, on a couple of occasions, and mm-hmm. uh, said if you multiply Steubenville by about twenty thousand times, that's oh, about wow. how it was. <laughs> just uh, amazing. He said, just flat out amazing. Had some oh, that's... great young priests, and our bishop was there with him. So uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal pil- pilgrimage. Uh, it's great to hear. Now, now, how old is your son, Pat? Uh, twenty three. Twenty three. Oh wow, that's. That's pretty yep. awesome. I, I always think like th- those years are so critical, so so crucial. And uh, some of my, some of my best friends were involved with a chaplaincy at one of the uh, the local universities. And I remember I, I gave a talk there once, and I I walked through the hall of the student center, and there were it was like a, a rogues gallery, if you will. There are all these competing ideologies, all these different student groups, religious groups, every religion under the sun. Atheist groups, uh, animist groups. I, I mean, it was it was just wild. And, and if you're a young person who's kind of trying to form your worldview and you're not sure what to believe or why to believe it, it's so crucial for for the church to have a voice at, at that time in a person's life where they're really kind of setting the course for the future. And that's uh, so. Yeah, that's that's awesome that your son had a great time, Pat. Thank you so much for that call, and thanks for joining me today on the K.L. Clark Show. Hope you'll join me tomorrow on The Faith Explainer. We're doing a really fun Bible study on St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Man, there's a lot of great stuff to unpack there, that's for sure. I'll be back tomorrow for The K.L. Clark Show, right at the same time, 5 p.m. Central, 3 Pacific, 6 Eastern. Stay tuned for Trending with Timory. I'm K.L. Clark. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Aylock took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.